and welcome to the preview episode of Talking PFAS. I'm your host, Kayleen Bell. I'm still incredulous that they learn about this contamination and they allowed it to pour off the base quite seriously for years afterwards. That was former New South Wales Green Senator Lee Rhiannon talking about PFAS contamination that came from RAF base Williamtown in New South Wales. It had been used in firefighting foams on the base, often for training, for decades. This contamination was kept secret from the community. Defence, state and local authorities all knew of the contamination in 2012, but residents only found out in 2015, and many of them found out because of the media. Although season one of the podcast begins talking about the Williamtown RAF-based contamination, it will not be the only focus of this podcast. I'll be looking at broader issues of PFAS in Australia and also touching on what's happening globally because PFAS contamination is a global issue. It's even been found in polar bears. Every episode of Talking PFAS, I'll be bringing you a candid conversation with a wide range of guests, including people who live or work in contaminated zones, politicians who work with these communities to try to get solutions, firefighters who have worked with these chemicals for decades, fishing communities who have had to face closures because of PFAS in their fishing environment, remediation experts, researchers who are trying to come up with solutions, scientists, medical professionals, toxicologists, hydrologists, the list goes on. There is a lot to talk about when it comes to this issue, and that's why I wanted to start the podcast. I'll also be digging deep to answer the questions flying under the radar. And please feel free to send me your questions at talkingpfas at gmail.com. Today's preview is a selection of conversations from guests in the podcast so far, and you'll hear more from them in future episodes. Labor MP Kate Washington has been working for three years with the Saltash, Williamtown and Fullerton Cove communities in her role as the member for Port Stephens. This is an issue that has pretty much been the biggest issue in my whole political career, which only started in 2015. But to have this announced in September of that year has meant that it has been a major focus. So out of your time, how much time does PFAS take up? (laughs) It comes up every day. There's so many intricacies and complexities to the issue and the way in which it's affecting the environment, the community, our people. There's just so many facets to it. So every single day there is something on this. Associate Professor Robert Niven from the University of New South Wales in Canberra has real concerns about PFAS contamination and the scope of this problem. We've, of course, been aware of fluorinated compounds for a long time, but uh, this whole PFAS thing really came on the scene around about five or six years ago and caught us all by surprise, even people like myself. How concerned are you about these chemicals? I am very concerned. He has 28 years' experience in all aspects of soil, groundwater, surface water and air contamination and also in contaminated site investigations, assessment and remediation. I see this as the next asbestos, I really do. And it took from the 1960s approximately to the 1990s before society really came to reject asbestos. And I see this playing out with fluorocarbons as well. Defence is currently investigating 23 sites for PFAS contamination and the Sydney Morning Herald puts a number of sites being investigated in Australia at 90. 
Every day, it often seems we're hearing about more sites. The use of this chemical was just enormous, not just at RAAF bases, but also at airports where firefighters were being trained. So we have got a real crisis on our hands with regard to contamination, and the government should have the real commitment to work with communities to clean up those sites and give them full compensation. So we're talking about PFASs from firefighting compounds and so forth as one of the potential sources, and this is, this is a big problem. But fluorinated compounds in general, they're heavily used in many industrial products. So they're used as coatings like Teflon and so forth. They're used as waterproofings. So your Gore-Tex and all those sorts of products contain PFASs. There's a suggestion, which I'm not being able either to confirm or deny, but there's a suggestion that many of these compounds are used in cosmetics, they're used in lipsticks, they're used in uh, post-it notes, they're used in marker pens. They've gone right through a lot of our industrial products. Now we realise we have a problem and we're going to have to come back and look at all these consumer products and really deal with it. And I don't think we should wait 10 years to do that. We should be doing this right now, test every commercial product for fluorinated compounds and make some risk assessments. And the manufacturers, if you're selling sunscreen, you want to be sure you're not putting these compounds into your sunscreen. EPA Victoria have a fact sheet about PFAS. They say most people come into contact with PFAS through eating food and drinking water containing PFAS and through the use of products like stain-resistant carpets, cosmetics, shaving cream, sunscreen and water repellent sprays. They're classed as persistent pollutants because they remain in the environment and in organisms like us humans for a long time. Many residents living in contaminated areas are very concerned about the high levels of PFAS in their blood or their children's blood and even their baby's blood. The Australian Government Department of Health says all Australians are expected to have detectable levels of PFAS in their blood. Dr Brett Turner is a researcher from Newcastle University and he and his team have been working on a remediation solution to remove PFAS from water and perhaps soil in the future. He also has a background in biochemistry. He said PFAS chemicals are attracted to proteins. I asked him where PFAS likes to go in the human body. Well, it really likes to stick to the blood, but when deposited, it hangs around the liver. And other organs? Yeah, other organs, but it's mainly found in the liver and in the blood. Is there anything anyone can do in their diet to try to get rid of PFAS? Uh, Well, that's something that we are looking at with our research as well. The whole impetus, really, of my work was there's all these people that are living in these contaminated areas, and particularly little kids that have very high PFAS in their blood already, and as most of the listeners would probably know, these things have a long half-life in the blood. So I think PFOA lasts for about three years, PFOS is about five years, and then PFHXS is around seven years. So the half-life is the time it takes for half the concentration to disappear from your body. Dr Turner's innovative research has shown that plant proteins from hemp plants are an effective and natural method for PFAS remediation. I asked him what he thought when he saw the initial test results. Come to my office and I got my lab book and I had a look at it and I thought, oh, goodness, that is fantastic. Of the initial concentrations, we removed over 98% of the PFOS that was there and 97% of the PFOA. 
And I imagine there might be people listening and thinking, well, maybe that's an anomaly. Was it a once-off? Did you replicate these results? Yeah, it's been replicated. It wasn't an anomaly. You're seeing those consistent numbers. Yeah, 98% plus and sometimes to below the limit of reporting, which is the very limit that the lab can get to. The Australian government has a PFAS task force. It was established in December 2016 by the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Its job is to oversee the Australian government response to PFAS contamination on Commonwealth land. In April 2018, the task force was moved to the Department of Environment and Energy. I asked former Greens New South Wales Senator Lee Rhiannon what she thought of this move. Moving the task force to the Department of the Environment is a real setback in managing this issue. Uh, It certainly is an environmental issue, but it's also a health issue, but it's also a monetary issue now because the money is needed to compensate people. Surely it should come under the Prime Minister and Cabinet because sitting here right now talking about it, I'm convinced that we still do not know the full extent of the contamination across sites in all states and territories in Australia, and therefore it needs to be given the top decision at the level of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Associate Professor Robert Niven is very concerned about the scope of PFAS contamination in Australia and he doesn't believe non-defence sites are getting enough attention, both from media and regulators. I sort of see this as several waves. So the first wave has been defence. They're a very prominent landowner. They've been using PFASs for many years. So they're the obvious sort of agency that's been caught first by this. And because they're so prominent and because they're engaged in so many Australian communities, they're wearing the problem on their sleeve, if you like. But let's not forget, these, these are firefighting compounds. Where do you fight flammable liquid fires? Well, you fight them in airports. So every airport in the country has been conducting fire training. They have fuel depots. They have uh, emergency incidents where they spray. So this is an obvious problem at every airport in Australia. And yet... We don't have the coverage. Who's really assessing airport? Airports come under federal jurisdiction, so this is the Commonwealth Government who should be acting on this. But then surrounding airports, there's land that's under council and state government jurisdiction. What are those organisations doing? What are they really doing to protect those local communities? This is a really big issue. I know that there's producers up there in Williamtown that were asking if they could sell their produce because they've been told not to eat anything that's homegrown or locally grown. And my understanding is they're allowed to sell it to the rest of Australia, but they can't eat it. Correct. The precautionary principle and the restrictions that people have been asked to comply with means they don't eat their veggies, their fruit, their eggs, all of that. But for the producers, the theory is that if a farmer culls their own cow, they're likely to eat the lot themselves. Whereas if it's all uh, sold into the market, chopped up and dispersed amongst us all, it's all okay. It sits very uncomfortably with all of us actually, because we know that products from these areas are able to be sold in the market. A spokesperson from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries confirmed tailored precautionary dietary advice was given to people living in affected areas. This advice may include avoiding or not consuming home-slaughtered meat, poultry, eggs, milk, fruit and vegetables. They also said the general population is not at risk from produce from PFAS contaminated sites because the wider public consumes food from a variety of sources and not a single source. I caught up with a beef producer, Len, from Saltash. He asked for his cattle to be tested after he found out about the contamination. 
They, they said they didn't want to test our cattle because they didn't have a test and they didn't want to affect the clean green image of Australia. They didn't want to affect the beef prices, what they told us to do. Don't eat the meat. Uh, we, we used to kill our own meat. We had cool rooms and all, all the equipment to cut it up, so we can't use that now. The New South Wales DPI spokesperson also confirmed no cattle have been tested for PFAS in New South Wales. They also said there are no Australian or international restrictions on the production, movement or sale of animals or animal products from areas affected by PFAS. And also that many of Australia's trading partners are also managing PFAS contaminated land issues. Above all this also is the issue of money, that sooner or later the government really needs to come to terms with this and the public are saying it needs to happen now. Compensation for their lost income, loss of business and for the loss of the value of their land and their homes. These are huge issues for people whose lives have really been broken up and many of them are worried sick about their own health because If they haven't got cancer, they know of neighbours who are sick. They see livestock die under peculiar circumstances. This is scandalous. I asked Dr Brett Turner what residents who are stuck in contaminated areas could do to further reduce exposure to PFAS chemicals. Well, um, for a start, my my heart really goes out to them and, and that's really why we're working really hard to try and get a solution to this. But in terms of trying to mitigate their current exposures... I guess the only things they can do is really follow the what the Department of Health has already put out there. Don't eat the eggs that are grown at home. Don't feed your chickens the water from the ground or even one pool up on the surface. But uh, I guess it's very hard to, in everyday life, to steer away from these things. Many residents are very concerned about the high levels of PFAS in their blood because there is a so-called safe limit for life and these chemicals bioaccumulate over your lifetime and there is a lot of debate over the health effects. Professor Martin Kirk is the lead researcher of the PFAS health study being conducted at the Australian National University in Canberra. The study is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health. I caught up with him to discuss the PFAS health study and also where he thought further research was needed. I think if we're going to get better handle on things, one area of research that probably needs to be done better is the highly exposed populations because in general that's where you're going to see overt health effects. There's been some criticism of the studies to date that have been conducted by the manufacturers directly funding with investigators from them. I'm not sure whether that introduces real bias, but in terms of transparency, it's not good. I think that's certainly an area. I also think that some of the areas we identified in our study that had limited evidence in the systematic review, that is worth further investigation. So those particular aspects of health, so around cholesterol and kidney disease and some of those cancers, and probably also um, the immunological responses to vaccines, But that said, the expert health panel report, they considered a broader range of evidence and made other conclusions. The expert health panel for PFAS was set up to advise the Australian government on the scientific evidence about potential health impacts from PFAS exposure. However, there is a lot of scientific and public debate concerning the health effects caused by PFAS exposure. This will be covered in future episodes.
The Australian Government is currently conducting an inquiry into the management of PFAS contamination around defence bases. So far, three public hearings have been held in Catherine in the Northern Territory, Oakey in Queensland and Williamtown, New South Wales. The final public hearing will take place in Canberra in September. I'll be bringing you a full wrap of the parliamentary inquiry into PFAS in a future episode. This is what a few residents had to say at the Williamtown public hearing in July about how PFAS contamination has affected their lives. I only found out about the contamination through the newspaper back in September 2015. Then in April, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I had an operation, chemo and radiation. This took the better part of a year, which I spent researching PFAS. I found studies that associated PFAS with breast cancer. We have lost neighbours on both sides of us to cancer, and on Cabbage Tree Road where I live, there's been over 50 cases of cancer in 15 years. This road has around 85 houses. My husband has also had cancer. Our whole world has been turned upside down. We can't sell our properties as banks aren't lending. Who would buy a contaminated property? We can't eat the eggs from our chooks or grow our own vegetables. We don't know if the meat and vegetables that we buy now at the supermarket contain PFAS, as we don't know where it's sourced from. We've lost alpacas, we've lost a good broodmare, and all in unusual circumstances. We can't stop our animals drinking surface water, they don't listen to us. There are people in this community who cannot afford to wait another three years living under a cloud of doubt. There are people in this community who cannot afford to lose another sleepless night, worrying if they have made their kids sick. There are people in this community who cannot afford to hold off just a little bit longer, hoping that defence will do the right thing. And there are people in this community who cannot afford to keep paying a mortgage on a home that is not fit for purpose. These are the stories our family has experienced, our family has witnessed. Please don't let the sun set on a fourth Christmas living this nightmare. This is not how we envisaged our life today, nor our prospective future. Uh, Living here in a PFAS contamination nightmare, the changes it's made to our lifestyle, our future plans, the financial impact, the inability to sell, to move, the effects on our health, the stress, anxiety, the depression, the fear, the fears for the level of exposure at the peak of the contamination, when we lived oblivious to the precautionary advice, where we ate our own local produce, we used the bore water, we had contact with the water, the soil, the dust and that what was in the air. Our property is not fit for purpose. What good is a rural property when you can't live a rural life? But the thing that really got me the most, I was travelling home from work in Queensland. I'm driving back in the truck and hear the radio that there's a contamination. And I went, oh, you poor buggers. And it was me. It was me. People want to know how this affects you. It's, it's impossible when it's your children. Your life. I spend my life trying to make the environment better. And I'm screwed over by other negligence that has ruined the environment that I own. Here is a little bit of what Defence had to say at the Williamtown public hearing. Uh, Steve Greshkoviak, I'm the Deputy Secretary uh, for Estate and Infrastructure within the Department of Defence. I didn't come with a prepared statement, but um, I will take the opportunity um, just to say that. Chris and I have been here all day and um, we've listened to the very heartfelt uh, submissions that have been made by the members of this community. We understand that there are significant levels of anxiety and stress in this community over this issue. Um, I can't claim to 
fully understand how people feel about that, but clearly that's evident from what we've heard today. We try and be as open as we can with the communities that we engage with in terms of publishing all of the information that is produced from the various uh, work that we do. If, if we had our time again, we would have done some things differently. Um, there is no doubt about that. And we have learnt from the experiences, um, particularly here and at Oki, which were the first places that we became involved with. Subsequent investigations, as they've been launched, have been launched in a different way, and we, we approached communities first. But I can't undo what was done. The decisions that were made four or five years ago were made with the best of intentions. Um, but we, we, you know, we continue to try and improve the way we engage with communities and the way we do this work. Federal Member for Patterson, Merrill Swanson, has also been working with this community at Williamtown, Salt Ash and Fullerton Cove. Here is a little of her statement at the public hearing in Williamtown. On the 4th of September 2015, when this news broke via the Newcastle Herald and the ABC radio, I was a radio journalist for the University of Newcastle. And I remember the calls coming freely from the community saying, what does this mean? We're in this red zone. In the time that has elapsed since then, I have campaigned for our community. But I want to ask the question, why is this necessary? Why is it necessary that a community has to be adversarial against its own government. They have been forced to be combative, to fight all the way, and this has added stress. And I just want to make a point about mental health. I find it personally affronting when people talk about mental health with this issue. Can I say to you, if this had been handled correctly from the beginning and the primary stressor had been addressed, there would be no need for additional mental health for these people. Just after the Williamtown public hearing, I caught up with Lee Rhiannon and Kate Washington again, and this is what they had to say about the government inquiry into PFAS. I was very moved by the comments and the evidence that many members of the community gave at the Williamtown hearing. I have got to know many of these people over the past three years. And in that time, while I see a very strong community, very supportive of each other, I also see real damage that's done, growing mental health issues, real worry about cancers, cancer clusters being identified. It's really cruel. Like, it's not how people expect their governments to behave. Like, governments are supposed to pull together with communities, and we're not saying the Turnbull government is responsible for the original problem, but they are responsible for the cruelty being inflicted on people now. And we saw it there at the Williamtown hearing Many people in tears, many really moving statements being made by people about the impact on their lives. And and it is so sad. Every time people's expectations rise, they're not often met. So we all go into these things now with fairly low expectations. But goodness me, everyone brings their A game and they try their hardest because they still hold on to hope that... Perhaps this day, perhaps this story and perhaps this message might get through. When this was realised, why didn't the government say, look, the very department that is charged with the defence of our nation has caused harm to a community. Therefore, we need to act in the right way and help these people. But no, that did not happen. All we saw from the very beginning were half-truths, and the covering up. And now it has taken the good people of this area 
the seat of Paterson, to fight tooth and nail to educate themselves, to seek information internationally, to engage lawyers and experts and professors, to constantly put their case forward. And they have received very little assistance in this. And that's what I would say is the most shameful. We should have a government coming cap in hand saying, I'm sorry that we have contaminated your water supply, your land, your air, your bodies and your children. What is going on in the government and why has the Prime Minister not come to Williamtown? I have invited him personally several times. My community has. He should do the right thing and come and meet with these people and bring a package with him. Thank you. It will be interesting to see how the Morrison government manages PFAS in Australia. I hope you enjoyed today's preview episode. Please download and share so more people can hear this. And you can also leave a review on iTunes, which would be great. Next week, I'll bring you a discussion with a couple of residents from Saltash. Pam and Len's property has been in Pam's family for over 100 years. Our place is contaminated. Uh, the soil's contaminated. The surface water's contaminated. Our bloods are contaminated and our bores are contaminated. So there's not much there that's not contaminated. And we just don't want to live on contaminated land. You can't understand what it's like until it happens to you. When it happens to you, you, you it's, it's unbelievable. You've lost everything. You, you've got nothing. I've got two boys that are in their 40s. Their readings are as, nearly as high as mine. If they stay on the farm, um, I, I just don't know. Once again, thank you for listening to Talking PFAS. If you want to get in touch, please email me at talkingpfas at gmail.com. See you next week. All the information and audio in today's episode is copyright. If you're a media organisation or broadcaster, Please contact me for permissions. Thank you.